Take number three. Part three. <laughs> yeah, good afternoon to you, Dr. Bayless. Oh, and also to you, a good afternoon. Oh, and to you as well. A and good thank afternoon. You and to you. An afternoon of goodness. Ah, oh, it's good to be out here. Live, live studio audience. <laughs> Dang, just escalating the applause. <laughs> we got a good crowd today. Yeah, it's always good to be performing in front of a crowd. <laughs> they go back and forth between the, the, the cheering and then the, and then they laugh. Yeah, I like that. I like the person. There's like a whistle in there and it goes real high for a second on the cheering. What about? Yeah, yeah. Hit him with the hi ya. <laughs> Or here's your here's your personal favorite. Yeah. That's my homie. I've had to learn to roll with that. Otherwise, he just don't stop using that button. <laughs> and then I just end up creating my own misery. So I do like that one. That's well, a good you, one. <laughs> you admitting that. Now I know. Now I know. Now we're back. Yeah, that's a good one, man. Good to be in Le Chateau, man. We are on the heels of the Rand episode. It is. One part Senior Rogers and one part Yoda. Senior Yoda. Senior Yoda. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. I've been doing the social media thing today. But first, man, I was just looking at you and you look pretty worn out. You look Uh, tired. I look tired? Fatigued. Yeah. I got bags under my eyes or what? Bags under your eyes. Fingers work to the bone. Looks like you've been working on some pods. (laughs) My fingers work to the bone. Yeah, man. Bug game strong with that crossing the chasm or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're, You're referencing the production yeah man yeah. you've been burning that midnight oils yeah we got that rand edits yeah um and then we got crossing the chasm yeah just uh be pete the pod guy just prolific yeah he is prolific how are you feeling about the overall production kind of oh, i feel great and... about it yeah it's funny that you think me helping to edit a few podcasts may make me tired because yeah. um i actually my fingerprint of uh, edit editing a podcast is yep. that it's underproduced, so it's not a lot of work actually. I'm just tired from living, <laughs> just living the life, living, just being a hominid on this planet, living that life. Man, I was curious because I was thinking like, yeah, you sound tired. I was thinking that you'd probably be uh, like the quality of the production would be a lot higher given how fatigued you look. Like yeah. if it's underproduced <laughs> and you look this tired. That's bad, man. That's par for the course. That's par for the course. What about those Beyond Flags, man? The the same thing? Just underproduced? Yeah, underproduced and overstated. (laughs) That's my favorite, man. Good for us. Yeah, the Beyond Flag potty, underproduced and overstated, all except for those Crossing the Chasm. So, yeah, yeah, we got the Crossing the Chasm episodes that are going to start to be released monthly. Yeah. Yeah, So tune in, hear the prolific pod god. Yeah. He's going to be doing some great interviews. Yeah, check those ones out. Stoked. Come on. But today, like you said, we got got social media part three. Trois. Part part on on the docket. Yeah. So what have we done up to this point? Well, so for me, the first episode, we covered the origins and etiology of social media, how it came into being, yeah. how uh, Face Mash yeah. Love face mash. followed MySpace. Oh, come on. Yeah. The followed days. GeoCities? Was it GeoCities? Yeah, GeoCities and... Oh, GeoCities was the first. Yeah. yeah. But like we don't know what that is. Yeah, no idea. And you talked about the profile, apparently. Your emo MySpace wall. Oh, yeah, man. Get those (laughs) X Cody Bayless X. So essentially, the conclusion I took from that is social media is like a a young, early adolescent that has a fake ID and an Amex Black just hitting that town. 
South San Francisco Street looking yeah. for shaky Drake. <laughs> looking for shaky Jake's yeah. unregulated. That is a really fun image. Yes. Just a, a, a young, a young strapping enterprise that's largely unregulated, right? Totally. So we looked at this young, large <laughs> enterprise that's un- unregulated and we were saying, what does all the social science say about this? This kid running amok. Mm-hmm. Yeah, AMX. social media is not going away. So yeah, it's not going away, and it seemed like for me it was mixed findings. Yeah, there's well, some goods. There's some not goods. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. Huh? Yeah, for me, when when a phenomenon is being measured in social science, right, and you find effects that could be described as either positive or negative in some way or another mm-hmm. by whatever valence system someone is using. Yeah. That it's an indicator that it's not inherently one or the other, but that it has the potential to create one or the other. And it was cool going into all those research articles that we did because mostly findings are either neutral or what could be described as having a negative influence on mood, well-being and relationships. So it's like neutral to negative with some potential positives mixed in there, Mm -hmm. but um, more neutral and negative than anything. So, yeah, like for me, an indicator that it has the potential to be negative, um, but isn't inherently that because for many people it's neutral and for some people it's slightly positive. Yeah. And we, we tried to highlight that research that shows that it could be slightly positive. And we also spoke anecdotally just from our first episode in the year when we met with Goldie Gold, who has an approach to social media that seems to be fulfilling for him. Yeah. And if that's not evidence of the positive side of social media, I don't know what is because man, Goldie Gold, heart of gold. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Goldie Gold. So for this episode, this will also be our last one on the social media uh, series. Mm -hmm. And then for this one, we were going to cover a few things. So wanted to provide a little overview into the algorithm, Mm -hmm. how that works, sort of its function and purpose how that relates to this big term surveillance capitalism. Ooh. And then uh, we're going to sum it up with uh, how to approach all this, how to create a more meaningful experience Yeah, when it comes to social needs. If it, if it has a potential to be neutral or positive, what are ways to not have a negative experience from it? So basically yeah. our hope is in this episode to provide what evidence there is for how to use it in a way that it won't have a negative impact like yeah. it can. Yeah, voila. So that's what we're going to cover today. Yeah. So if we should start off with them, uh, social media algorithms. Yeah. Huh? I'm pumped about this because this is stuff that old man Dan <laughs> just, I feel yeah. like I, yeah. I know this anecdote, so I'm going to yeah. jump in with this. I didn't, I didn't run this by you Yeah. in the pre-recording meeting. <laughs> in the uh, pre-prod? <laughs> yeah. Pre-production set design? Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, in Congress, I think there was a point at which in the congressional hearings, yeah, where a question was asked, like, yeah. where is the algorithm? <laughs> I think I even joked about that in a previous episode. Yeah. But I believe that was a literal question in the congressional hearings by, like, an old Congress member who yeah. has no idea what the algorithm is. Yeah. Fortunately, I understand a little bit more than that person, but it's, yeah. like, minuscule. I'm kind of <laughs> on that level. So, so you're slightly above where is the algorithm? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I know it's, it's not under something a rock. physically. Yeah. I know it's not a mass that could be yeah. identified. So, yeah. Yeah. What is its physical address? Where's the algorithm? Yeah. 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 Beyond that, I'm excited <laughs> to learn. Yeah. yeah. So, what is it? Well, the algorithm, yeah, really is important to be aware of in my mind. It's essentially, it is the thing that creates for us the user experience when we, when we are using social media. And what the algorithm is, is basically a set of rules 
that create that is created behind the scenes that dictates what content we're exposed to and in what order we see that content. Mm-hmm. So the thing that comes to my mind, remember we were talking about Gutenberg? Yeah. The old print and press. If you and I got the Arizona Daily Sun this morning and yeah. both opened it, we would be looking at the same content, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you and I were to both open Facebook right now or both open Instagram yeah, yeah. and log from our personal profiles, yeah. we'd be exposed to very different content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that content is a product of the algorithm. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you'd be getting Americano ads. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Yeah. I'd all be just the time. Americanos, Americanos, <laughs> more Americanos. And Americanos followed by Americanos. Coupled yeah. with uh, jorts. <laughs> yes. Americanos and jorts. Yeah. You know, what's a bummer about these algorithms. They haven't been kicking me any jorts ads. I'm just, maybe there's just no company that's doing that really well. <laughs> it's a real space you could move into. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Maybe we'll get into that jorts, that jorts manufacturing. Make a little side note here. Yeah. What would be on Dunny's? You'd have like a... Like a recliner chair in an empty room. <laughs> recliner chair in an empty room. Stu- studio <laughs> apartment for rent. <laughs> closer, closer. Studio apartment for rent. No, honestly, yeah. what pops up is yeah. like vans. <laughs> Just vans. Vans to go oh, live man. out on your own. Solo Mio vans. Oh, oh, there you go. Solo Mios, yeah. Voila. So yeah, that's all a product of the algorithm, right? Based yeah. on data that has been collected on us. Um, so... One thing I think is important with algorithms too is just to understand that each different platform has its own approach to how mm-hmm. it how it uh, designs the algorithm mm-hmm. and what, based on what's important to it. I wanted to use Facebook as an example. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I don't know. I remember what year, but uh, Frances Haugen, right? Yeah. She was mm-hmm. the whistleblower. She spoke to this whole concept of yeah. meaningful engagement. Uh-huh. She was saying that Facebook wanted to create meaningful engagement and the way that they thought they would accomplish this was to then show more information that was liked more and was shared more, mm-hmm. particularly quickly. So if someone was posted, liked a lot and shared quickly, that would then get shot to the top of people's feeds. Yeah, that goes to the top of the algorithm. Exactly. Wherever the algorithm's at, it really promotes yeah. that type of content. Yeah, you know the image that comes into my mind is that little watershed over by Francis Short Pond. <laughs> That's where the algorithm is. <laughs> <laughs> It's hanging out in that little tiny building. Flagstaff, there's a Thorpe Park duck pond. Yeah. That's where you're getting your content from. And so the thing that I thought would be important for us is uh, connecting that back to our last episode, right? Where we were talking about brain hacks. Yeah. And how these things connect. And so if something becomes liked and shared more, that's the thing that gets shot to the top of people's feeds. Yeah. We learned a couple of things from our last episode based on the outrage effect and the salience network, essentially, mm-hmm. that would um, then prioritize and send information that is more polarizing or more divisive in its nature, more outrageous or salacious in yeah. its nature. So the algorithm guarantees that salacious content is going to go to the top. Yeah. So polarizing stuff gets priority. And so information is more connective. Um, it's a zero sum game that yeah. gets canceled out by information. that's more, insul- more salacious. Yeah. That tends to get buried a little bit in the algorithm. Okay. Yeah. And then there's also other factors that go into it. Things like time spent on the app also factor in. So if you spend a lot of time on the app and you make a post, you're more likely to be prioritized. Yeah. Time not spent on the app, that sort of thing as well. Yeah. That's why it makes you super happy. When, <laughs> yeah. You know, all our stuff's just going straight to the bottom. Yeah. And I just post that thing and it just goes, yeah. Nowhere. Nowhere. 
It's like throwing a paper airplane and having it land at your feet. Yeah. Doesn't even do a loop. Just just goes dive. straight to. <laughs> yeah. No loops. No loops. Hashtag dive. Hashtag no loops. Hashtag no loops. That's a little bit of the algorithm. Yeah. And then you've also been mentioning this other term, this surveillance capitalism. In fact, I think you have like a, I think it's like a 1500 page book on your desk, the surveillance capitalism. Yeah, there's a book called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. It's by Shoshana Zuboff. Full disclaimer, I've not read every word in that book, but have uh, taken an interest in learning more about what it is. And essentially surveillance capitalism is the thing that has learned how to monetize our data or our information mm-hmm. to make um, money mm-hmm. for, for corporations. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it'd be good to provide a little bit of a background on surveillance capitalism, just so that people knew or had mm-hmm. an idea of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, why does this algorithm exist? What's the thing that's keeping our attention here? And how is that making money for these corporations? Okay. Can we start out with like a definition? And then you and I were talking about it and we actually came, you, you sent me this video that was helpful where it went over industrial capitalism. So if we define it yeah, and then we talk, if we talk about what is the most known um, current modality of capitalism, if we could define that and then compare the two. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sounds good. We're kind of, yeah, switching out those parts. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, surveillance capitalism is basically just an economic system that's centered around the commodification of personal data with the p- core purpose of profit making. Mm-hmm. So in, in basically at its core, it's the economic idea for how tech companies learn to make money off of their platforms. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't the homie Zuckerberg... Yeah. Zuckerberg's like, he's doing well here, huh? Didn't yeah. he basically say that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, I think it was in those same congressional hearings, right? And they asked him, so uh, how, do you, how is it that Facebook makes money, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember this pretty, pretty well. And he says something to the effect of like, I sell ads, sir. Mm-hmm. It was kind of his response. Yeah. As if he's like a paper boy in the corner. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So where's the algorithm and how do you make money? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind Good of question. Yeah. That's a little insight into how far behind <laughs> we are in understanding the this rampant yeah. adolescent running around with an Amex. And Zuckerberg gives an answer like he's a newsie. Yeah. Just, I sell ads, sir. I sell ads, sir. <laughs> yeah. That's how I make money. Yeah. Target, Walmart, in, yeah. innocent, <laughs> yeah, just helping out my local companies, just selling advertisements. <laughs> but really, there's a whole thing that's going on beyond that. So, with surveillance capitalism, you're saying, what if we just did a primer on industrial capitalism yeah. and kind of looked at how that worked? That we could sort of uh, mash surveillance capitalism. Yeah, that yeah, as well. yeah. So, in industrial capitalism, right? It's like about the production of either a product or a service. And so when an entity develops a product or a service, the way that they can enhance what they can make from that is by enhancing their form of production. So a good example of this is like uh, the assembly line. Like, okay. uh, yeah. So Ford with the Model T developed the assembly line. They figure out a way to increase the efficiency and speed of production, which allows them to have more products to sell which allows them to make more money. Essentially, industrial capitalists are incentivized by figuring out those processes of efficiency to make money. Um, And they make money um, by covering whatever their costs for both labor and resources was, and then having a bit of money above that, a profit above that, right? Right, yeah. So that main goal is to really make profit. 
Yeah. And there's incentives to like pay lower wages yeah. to create efficiencies with materials, yeah. processes, those kinds of things. So yeah, the goal is right to get that product or a service as cheap as possible to make or recreate and then to sell it for as much as possible and to do that as quickly as possible. Okay. And so that, that drives industrial capitalism. So then if that's industrial capitalism, yeah, what is surveillance capitalism? How does it differ? Yeah, essentially. So uh, profit is going to be a similarity here. The goal is to profit. And uh, Shoshana Zuboff, the author of that book, In the Age of Surveillance Capitalism, she talks about Google as being the sim- was similar to Ford. And mm. so if Ford created that assembly, um, assembly line. line to improve efficiencies, that sort of thing. Google had created the search bar. And then what they did was they started tracking users' data on the search bar, which at first might not seem all that like harmful. Useful. Yeah, yeah. Or like, like something grand is going to happen from this. And they were essentially using it to reinvest in the search bar to make it more functional. As time went on, uh, they started learning or collecting or looking at all this other data, like things that might have seemed like they weren't all that important. And that's referred to as data exhaust Mm -hmm. was the term that they had used. And so, or data breadcrumbs. And then these would be things like people's age, uh, sex, gender. This might even be things like their grammar on on their search bar Mm -hmm. how they type it in how they type it in the types of questions they ask yeah like all of these things were then used to form a more full picture Mm -hmm. of the user itself yeah i like the word exhaust there like data exhaust right because i think at first this was just a byproduct it was like uh oh there's all this information because this system can contract all this stuff, not an individual. It's not an individual sitting behind a computer being like, oh, this person typically types it in this way grammatically. Right. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. They, they can develop a system that reads all of that. Yeah. And, uh, and all of this early on is like a byproduct, all this information. Mm-hmm. And then the more that they collected that information and developed this more full picture of people, I mean, we're talking like infinite lines of data practically. Right. What they could then do was use this data in a predictive manner. Yeah. So the, they, they create these predictions. Mm-hmm. Right. And so my understanding is that at first an enterprise like Google, they had all this data exhaust yep. that they could say um, that they could see and they realized they could then use that exhaust to create predictions to inform how to get people to spend more time on their platform. So Google could figure out, oh, if we use this information about this person, we can help predict what's going to make them more likely to use Google again in the future, and we can increase usage of our website. Yeah. Is that that right? That's what you got. Yeah. Yeah. And then eventually they learned that they could make money off of that. How, so then how do they make money off of that? So then as they learn these predictions become more fine over time, then they could sell that information or that data to companies to then increase your usage on their platform. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so this is where they sell ads, sir. <laughs> I sell ads, sir. Yeah. 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 So, they, that, that, so eventually they learn to be, make a capital... Mm-hmm. from selling um, predictions about people. Right. Okay. Correct. So, so then this throws me a little bit right here. Okay. So I often hear people talk about it, and I even understand it in ways where us as an individual, like me, 
on my no gram for Dan Instagram account. Yeah. I don't think I've logged into for probably a year. Um, yeah. right. I see myself as the product there cause I have to sustain a brand. I have to sell myself. Yeah. But this sounds like the product's a little different than that. Like the product is actually trying to predict what I will buy. Yeah. yeah. So, if so yeah what's the product and what am i in that equation yeah that scenario the product is actually the prediction and then your attention or your time on the app your data and what you're doing yeah. is the resource so that's the thing that's uh, being mined to inform the prediction yeah yeah okay so if like the model t if i have to mine a bunch of ore yep. in order to create the metal yep. to produce the model t I'm like e equated to the ore. I'm not equated to the Model T. Yeah, yeah. Your time, oh, attention, and yeah, the way that you're using the app is the is the material in the ground. Oh no! And the Model T is the prediction. Oh no! Hey, we can sell a book to this guy. Yeah, he logs on every night at 8 p.m. and checks out books. Yeah, and by 8:15 he's yeah. in bed. And at 8:15 he's in bed. So at 7:59, get the book advertisements ready. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no. Yeah. That sort of thing. So yeah. that, I think that's a really important dis, um, differential to make or distinguishing factor is that we're often thought of as the product, mm -hmm. but we're not the product. We're mm -hmm. the resource. Mm -hmm. We're the material in the earth mm -hmm. in this scenario. Yeah. So thinking of time, attention, those sorts of things. What, what does that create in terms of a power hierarchy or a power structure for these systems versus us as individuals? Right. Yeah. So they become super asymmetric. Yeah. Right. Um, how so like asymmetric in what ways what do you mean yeah so there's four ways and so this can this is outlined by the center for humane techness also described by shoshana zuboff right but the first one is it becomes an asymmetric knowledge and info source mm -hmm. so systems learn about us with little transparency about them yeah. so it's kind of like we're being spied on yeah so they know a lot about me they know a I lot about you. i don't know where the algorithm is yeah it's actually not in that shed <laughs> Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. So asymmetric knowledge and info. Another one is asymmetric capacity and control. So what that essentially means is that we're giving up control as they gain more influence. Mm. Kind of a zero sum factor here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know I can see that like uh, zero sum, meaning that um, the amount of control over what I choose to do in my life is a zero sum amount. There's only a hundred percent of what's influencing my behavior. Mm -hmm. And if I'm 80% dictating that and 20% is dictated by genetics or previous behavior or personal history or other decisions, yeah. um, it's a, there's a hundred percent of that. It can't be 120 or 150. Right. So right. if I'm getting influenced by some other platform and that takes up 40%, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm giving up 40%. So they can gain more control. The more control they gain by virtue of that, I have less control. Yeah. And a lot of times what this will look like in practical, uh, in practical ways is that, you know, you sign all those consents and you mm -hmm. can track this and track that is that as you go through that process, the party like Google will then bundle your data and sell it. Mm -hmm. And then in order to use other platforms of theirs, if you were to say, no, I don't, I don't agree to you tracking my data, mm -hmm. you're now not allowed access to that. And once they sell it, they're then released of the liability for it too. So they say, well, you can be upset about your, how your data is being tracked and used, but once it's gone, we can't really come after us in any way. Yeah, we, we didn't choose for that company to use it in that way. Right. Okay. Right. Wow. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool, huh? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. And so another thing, and I think this is really related to that capitalism aspect, right? As we talk about asymmetric size and scale and that there's sort of this system behind it that's just perpetually growing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like just at all costs, make this number grow, make mm-hmm. profit grow. And so with that, what we'll see is exponential growth. Yeah. Without limits, right? Because if you're mining something like ore, there's a limit to the ore. If we're taking oil out of the ground, the reason people have concerns about fossil fuels is because we've taken so much out of the ground in addition to all the carbon that's in the air rather than in the ground. (laughs) But, uh, um, right, it's not finite. Like information about us, it would only be finite until they could make an absolute 100% prediction about what we're going to do 24 hours a day. So until it reaches that point, it's just this exponential growth Mm -hmm. to achieve the product of predictions about uh, our behavior. Exactly. You know, it's something I'm just thinking of that we kind of missed on that earlier, too, is as those predictions become more fine, they Mm -hmm. start to, as you improve the product, the prediction, it then makes us follow that. Mm -hmm. Right. So then what we're doing is essentially is living out that prediction, Mm -hmm. making it better and better and better. So they can actually learn to influence our behavior. I actually heard a narrative about this where um, Google Maps potentially will um, guide you. They'll send a route that will take you past potential places that you could spend money. And then they'll send you coupons for whatever companies you're passing. Yeah, exactly. um, To increase the likelihood that you may behave in that way. Yeah. And so then if you were to just take the Google route, right, the Google Map Mm -hmm. route, in a sense, you're sort of losing control over that decision. To some degree, to right? To some degree. Yeah. yeah. It's not like they're making you robotically go in there, but you could say, oh, this is this is the route Google took me, and coincidentally, yeah. here's this place I just got a coupon for. Yeah, yeah, voila. Yeah. And so I think the term that Shoshana Zuboff uses for that is behavioral futures. Yeah. Is then, yeah, we're kind of living out the prediction okay. to make the prediction more and more accurate. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. So we got all this asymmetry and there's one more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, asymmetric resources. Okay. Do you want to talk to that one? Uh, yeah. Well, so basically it just amasses resources and knowledge. Um, and once you gain knowledge, it's, it's kind of what you're talking about. I think it's similar to the last one. It, it gives you access to attain more information and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's similar to money. Like if you have that thing, you're able to get more of that thing easier right. than someone that has less of that thing. Okay. And so if we have these asymmetrical power structures with virtually unlimited resources available to them, they will continue to amass all of that. And the transparency in terms of our understanding them will continue to decline and their understanding of us will continue to dec- increase. Yeah, so there's just this continual, consistent, growing influence. Yeah. Yeah. So the way I think about it is if you ever use social media and you feel disconnected, yeah, yeah, y- y- you may be at the resource stage. You may be a resource for that. Yeah. You may be producing the product of predictions about you where you are limiting your awareness and choice and decreasing your happiness. Hmm. And this is why some findings with social media lead to negative outcomes for mood, well-being, or relationships. Yeah, no doubt, right? Like in that way, we're just the resource. Yeah. I think of it never feels good to just be used, right? And yeah. so if you're just being mined or used yeah. in that sort of way. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to feel connected. It's hard to feel well. Yeah. So then uh, what can you do? 
Man, so for me, there's kind of this overarching umbrella, and I think we've referenced this a couple times in our previous episodes, but really the idea for me is the experience is going to be the product of how you approach it, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so I think if you approach it without awareness, you're going to experience it in a way where you feel like a resource. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel rich or fulfilling in any sort of way. I don't think you'll be consciously aware of that, right? This is where people talk about feeling disconnected. People talk mm-hmm. about feeling in a dyst- dystopian society. Totally. I think it's the amount of information they're consuming without intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, truly. Just kind of like that automatic open scroll sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I heard someone refer to it as doom scrolling the other day, which I yeah. thought was pretty funny. Yeah, it's yeah. a good term. Yeah. So one, awareness, yeah. I think, is kind of the overarching umbrella that we can kind of bundle these practical mm-hmm. strategies under. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first, just real practical strategies, right? Mm-hmm. Turning off notifications is one I think is really important. Yeah. Last last episode, we talked about the salience network Yeah. and how notifications tap on that thing. They make you think that there's something really important to tend to. When once again, if you get a Twitter uh, notification from Beyond the Pines, not important. You could probably be okay without being notified about that. <laughs> so turn them notifications off. So those pings, yep. right? Every yep. time that goes off, it's triggering something that's not by your choice. Yeah, we got to respond to that thing. So yeah, yeah, the pings, the red bangs, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, delete unhelpful apps. Uh, so Humane Tech, uh, they, they use the term toxic apps. Mm. I think these are apps where you find yourself unintentionally going there or find yourself unintentionally spending more time on them than what you would intend to choose. Totally. Um, which relates to, yeah, some of these relate to one another. So I'll, I'll leave that as it is. Mm-hmm. But um, I think in, in an inverse to that is also use helpful apps. Yeah like breathing or mindfulness app. I have an app that I can um, take a picture of a plant or a picture of a wildlife animal and it will tell me the species and tell me um, the population in that area. Mm -hmm. So I I can connect to the thing that I'm seeing by momentarily reading about that thing right there. Mm -hmm. And that's a helpful app. Or I can use a breathing app or a mindfulness app and it can really help be helpful. Yeah, so know which apps are worth using for you. Yeah. Which kind of taps to the next one is also like tracking screen time. And then just kind of being able to step back and comparing screen time to personal mm-hmm. values. Mm-hmm. Like, is the time that I'm spending on this domain match the thing that is important to mm-hmm. me overall? Yeah. Uh, check information you don't agree with. Like, don't mm-hmm. always spend time on all the same sites. Uh, actually look at information that comes from other sources. Mm. Because the algorithm will read from you that you only go to certain sources and give you much more of that and skew your perspective yeah. comparative to the person next to you. Yeah, that's where we're kind of referring to that expectancy effect, right? Or you kind of get stuck in the echo chamber a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So check information you don't agree with. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately this fits into awareness building, right? Is just being able to also set boundaries. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if this is the thing that I'm choosing to approach with my time and my attention, then what boundaries do I want to have in place? And so mm-hmm. a couple of things we talk about are times and context. Mm-hmm. So when do you feel good with using your phone in this way or checking into these apps in this way mm-hmm. and in what settings? There's a couple other specific mentions in here would be like keeping your phone in a main area when you're at the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also maybe 
making the choice to turn your phone off one day a week or something to that effect. Yeah. yeah. Or like, uh, yeah. Uh, leaving it in the car. Like if you go out on a date with the missus, mm, yep. you know, just put it in the car and leave yeah. it there. Yeah. Closer, 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 <laughs> further, further. Yeah. Yes. There is a study. So this other thing that's referenced yeah. here on our note is, um, David Strayer. He's a professor at the U of U and he's the study to find that, um, being outdoors in the wilderness, he takes students, undergrad students on these camping trips mm-hmm. and he's found they can perform better on, IQ testing, um, subtests of IQ testing. Mm-hmm. They perform better just after four days with the combination of wilderness wow. plus no tech. Yeah. So it gets rid of tech and being outdoors can increase performance um, on those types of things, uh, which is pretty incredible. So if you put it down yeah. for a day, it'll actually benefit you. Yeah. Yeah. An overall effect on those executive functions. Huh? Yeah. 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 Next one is uh, don't click or repost salacious material. Man, am I supposed to get that dope hit? Yeah. Well, <laughs> am so I supposed this, to get excited? This is another one that has in uh, that has research. David Rand, he's a professor at MIT. Um, he actually has learned that people, by and large, a majority of people can recognize misinformation. Hmm. So he's done tons of studies showing that people are able to pick out even what's a false headline. Yeah. And he's also done research to find out that despite people being able to recognize that, they still repost it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I noticed crazy. this thing is bad in my life and I'd like to stop it, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, it's like, not. Like, so he does say he doesn't think people think about it. He says if yeah. he asks people to perform a task where they're asked to identify mm-hmm. information from misinformation, yeah. they can. But he says they don't put that level of attention into the repost. They actually totally. just repost. So look at what you're reposting and think for a second. And if you intuitively think it may be salacious or inaccurate, you actually may be correct. You might be right. Yeah. yeah. By chance. Again, awareness. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing that you're building to the decision making here is the thing I say. I hear you saying there. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's fascinating. Um, another one we mentioned, uh, referencing back to that Arizona daily sun, huh? Yeah. I knew you'd love this one. New York times of the West, New York times of the West. Come on, <laughs> read that local journalism. Yeah. One of those sport outlets don't rely on mining predictions about you. Yeah. And also there's a consistent sort of, um, uh, just in terms of content, there's going to be something that's consistent there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you, you highlighted, I think these questions come from the social dilemma. Do they? Yeah, they were from the Shoshana. They were from the oh. uh, video we watched. Oh, okay. Yeah. So basically, some questions you can ac- ask yourself. When you use an app or when you use technology, and specifically social media, you can ask yourself, how does this information make me feel? Mm-hmm. So after using it, I, like I get people that talk about being on Instagram and they feel like uh, FOMO, right? Or mm. that they're not doing enough in their life to engage the world. Yeah. And it's like, well, did you have that feeling before? Mm-hmm. jumping on I, IG yeah. and like nah yeah. well IG may be the variable there totally yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. so you could ask yourself how does it make you feel you could ask what types of things could be predicted about me based mm-hmm. on what I just searched or based on what I just spent time with yeah so even when you spend more time on one thing than another think yeah. to yourself what is this going to pull up totally yeah yeah what information am I giving yeah to, to these people yeah yeah and lastly, if you don't like it, how can you make it better? Yeah. And this kind of leads to the last thing that I have there. Um, we'll put this in our description, but um, there's actually links that has suggestions for parents and educators, mm-hmm. has suggestions for youth, 
and has suggestions as well for policy and advocacy. Yeah. So there are resources out there to both get support and to take action. Um, we'll post that information in the description of this episode. So check that out. Great. Yeah. So for us, you know, just kind of in summing everything up before we go over this quote is uh, social media, right? Goods, bads. It's going to largely depend on how you approach it. It's going mm-hmm. to inform that experience. There are useful resources out there. And it's important to take time to step back from it and ask yourself some important questions. Yeah, like, again, how does this information make me feel? Even knowing that your information is being tracked and bundled as a as a way to make money for corporations, how does that make you feel? That's mm-hmm. a really important question to, to check in on. And then um, going forward, using it in a way that does feel helpful, knowing which apps are good for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just referenced that quote. So this quote's from The Social Dilemma, right? This is, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is a, when I watched that film, I thought this was one of the most powerful moments in that entire film. And it's from a person named Justin Rosenstein, who was actually the Facebook like button inventor. And so he's one of the guys who talks about, I was like, I had this innocent idea. I thought that we were going to do this thing that would increase, you know, engagement in a way where people would be giving thumbs up to each other and kudos i guess is what it's called in strava and i thought that would be a good thing but anyway he speaks to the surveillance capitalism aspect of that yeah it's kind of a long quote yeah well so let's let's take it piece by piece and break it down um it is a long quote but i don't know how i would take anything out of this because even with how lengthy it is i think it succinctly describes um the direction things are going and what we should be conscientious about yeah for sure so you want to jump in with the first part? Yes, that first part, Justin says, we live in a world in which a tree is worth more financially dead than it is alive and that a whale is worth more dead than alive. And as long as our economy works in that way and corporations go unregulated, they're going to continue to destroy trees, to kill whales and to mine the earth and pull oil out of the ground, even though we know it's destroying the planet and we know it's going to leave a world worse uh, for future generations. Yeah. So, so essentially we keep going in the direction we know is harmful just because there's this premise. Yeah. Um, and these living things are worth more from a capital standpoint mm-hmm. than they are, uh, than they are alive. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so then he says, this is short term thinking based on this religion of profit at all costs, as if somehow magically each corporation operating in its own self-interest is going to produce the best result. This has been affecting the environment for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Just the idea of this, the acting out of my own self-interest is going to have what's best for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Might be a fallacy there. And ultimately, what is frightening, what hopefully is the last straw that will make us wake up as a civilization and see how flawed this theory is in the first place, is to see that now we are the tree. We are the whale. Our attention can be mined and are more profitable to a corporation when we are staring at a screen, staring at an ad, than if we are spending that time living our life in a rich way and we are seeing the results of that. Yeah. This is where we're the resource, right? Yeah. 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 We're being mined. Our okay. attention and time. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing corporations using powerful artificial intelligence to outsmart us to figure out how to pull our attention for us to look at the things they want us to see rather than the things that are most consistent with our goals, our values, and our lives. Blammo. Boom. Yeah. yeah. I Which, think that's so important. Yeah, it touches on you and me. We emphasize so much mindfulness, both in our clinical work and our just day-to-day living, right? Yeah. And what he's saying there is um, this thing's kind of hijacking 
And the amount of control it has is the zero sum thing where you are losing control when it has more control. And if you feel disconnected and if social media creates some of what we've described, yeah, you may have, you may be using it in a way where it's producing that negative effect. Yeah. Yeah. That's it right there. Yeah. So for me, I guess just in reflecting on all of this again, it's like social media, not necessarily inherently good or bad. It seems to default one direction when it's not approached with awareness. Mm -hmm. And so when approaching social media with awareness in mind can then make decisions that line up with what he refers to in the end there, do these decisions reflect my goals, my values, what's important to me? Mm -hmm. And ultimately those are the things that are fulfilling Mm -hmm. for us in life. Yeah. Blammo. Blammo. All right. Why don't you take us out by shouting us out? No doubt. You can always find us on the interwebs, www.beyondflag.com. Flag spelled. F-L-G. Yeah, we are on that social media. You can come check us out. It may or may not be worth your time. If you deem that it is, come check us out. We're on Instagram at beyond underscore flag. And kind of sort of on Twitter, beyond underscore flag. All right. Take care. Love you.